I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Puppets, songs, actors, storylines, an urban setting full of fantastical characters teaching life lessons to our youngest. That's Sesame Street. That's the most popular children's television show on the planet. When Sesame Street first aired, it was almost an immediate success. A phenomenon, frankly. Countries throughout the world began to acquire the rights to the program, but of course, it was made for a U.S. audience. The program was culturally and thematically American. When discussion began to bring the show to Canada, it just so happened to be occurring at the same time that the country was going through, frankly, an identity crisis. What did it mean to be Canadian? What were Canadian values? Much of this crisis was a result of the superpower status of the U.S. We were living next to the media and cultural superpower of the world. From Coca-Cola to Hollywood, American television and film and products were found everywhere on the planet, and particularly prevalent in Canada. The problem then arose. How does a U.S. children's television show get used to promote a distinct sense of Canadian identity and inculcate Canadian children with Canadian values. That became a tricky problem in the 1960s and 70s and highlighted both Canadian sensitivities to America and Canadian sensitivities to each other. This is Season 6, Episode 4, Bert and Ernie, eh? The Canadianization of Sesame Street. Today we have two books to recommend. The first one is called The Beaver Bites Back, American Popular Culture in Canada. This was published in 1993 by McGill Queen's Press, and it was authored by David Flaherty and Frank E. 
Manning. These were the editors. And it's sort of a collection of really interesting examples of the culture wars of the 60s and 70s and onwards. The second book is titled, So They Want Us to Learn French, Promoting and Opposing Bilingualism in English-Speaking Canada. This was published in 2015 by UBC Press. The author is Matthew Hayday. And because this episode is focusing on Sesame Street in English Canada, this is an excellent book detailing the relationship between bilingualism and Canadian identity. Okay, so the origins of Sesame Street go back to a 1966 discussion between television producer Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette, who was a psychologist and vice president of the Carnegie Foundation, a foundation that was a philanthropic organization designed to support children's education. The two sought to utilize the growing popularity of television and, as they identified it, its addictive qualities, to develop a program that could educate and help young children prior to them attending school for the first time. Together, they formed the Children's Television Workshop, CTW, and in 1968 were given an $8 million grant to develop a new children's television show. The format of this new show would include a blend of human actors and puppets designed and operated by Jim Henson and his now world-famous team. What made the show so unique, besides the puppets, was that it was one of the first children's shows in the world to utilize modern educational curriculum and research. The development team garnered insight and advice from child specialists and psychologists throughout America. It then first aired in November of 1969, and by the early 1970s was being broadcast in numerous countries and in a variety of languages with a variety of adaptations. It quickly became one of the most influential television programs in the United States and was soon to begin influencing Canadian children. At the same time that Sesame Street was blowing up as a cutting-edge children's television program, Canada was undergoing a rather unique period of identity anxiety. Since the end of the Second World War, more and more Canadians had become concerned about the changing nature of Canadian culture. Broadly speaking, the Second World War saw Canada move dramatically into the sphere of influence of the United States, while slowly disengaging from its traditional attachments to Great Britain. Effectively, moving out of Mum's house to go live with the cool, younger cousin down the street. For many Canadians, both in English and French Canada, this new move towards the U.S. triggered a cultural panic. People were afraid that the closer to the U.S. Canada got, the more Americanized Canadian culture would become, thus the more Americanized Canadian youth would become. Effectively, many Canadians were afraid of American culture having an undue influence on Canadian youth. This anxiety over Americanization went right to the top 
The very influential Massey Commission of 1951 recommended a whole host of measures to be taken to protect and promote Canadian culture. The biggest message to come out of the Massey Commission was that the Canadian government needed to play a role in ensuring that Canadian culture did not become watered down or Americanized. It was also quite obvious that the dominant media platform emerging in the 1950s was television, replacing the decades-long domination of radio. Thus, all eyes turned towards television. Up until the late 1950s, the only television broadcaster in Canada was the CBC, yet it simply struggled to compete with the plethora of popular American content coming out of the U.S. The first major steps in attempting to regulate television in order to promote and protect Canadian-made content came in 1958. It was that year that the Broadcasting Act was passed under Prime Minister Diefenbaker's Conservative government. The Broadcasting Act of 1958 allowed for the creation of private television networks to compete in major markets, and thus the CTV was born. As well, it created the Board of Broadcasting Governors, the BBG. Now, the BBG regulated what was being shown on Canadian television, and in 1962, the BBG implemented a Canadian content requirement of 55%. This meant that 55% of what was shown on Canadian television had to be made in Canada. Yet even then, even with this Canadian content regulation, Canadian television struggled to hold back the flood of American television that continued to dominate airwaves throughout North America. In 1968, the Liberal government under Lester B. Pearson and his successor Pierre Trudeau passed another broadcasting act. The BBG was replaced now by a new regulatory body, the very well-known Canadian Radio-Television Commission, the CRTC. The CRTC was given wide-ranging powers to regulate not just television, but all forms of media and communications to ensure the primacy of Canadian content throughout the country. For those interested in how this affected music in our country, I suggest you see Cool Canadian Histories Season 5, Episode 14, Un-Canadian Content. It's a deep exploration of the controversy over Brian Adams being deemed un-Canadian. Now, Sesame Street posed a particular problem for the CRTC. On one hand, it was American. It was also becoming popular during a time where Canadian cultural creators, Canadian politicians, and Canadian people were attempting to promote a form of Canadian identity. This form of Canadian identity embraced bilingualism, multiculturalism, and use symbols like a new national anthem, O Canada, a new flag that had the red maple leaf on it. Obviously, 
an American television show was not going to promote symbols or ideas or narratives that reflected this new emerging Canadian identity. Now, at the same time, Sesame Street was just extremely popular. As well, Sesame Street was a not-for-profit program, something quite unusual for American television programming coming across the border. The show had educational benefits, even if it did not conform to notions of Canadian identity. You see, Sesame Street first came to Canada in 1970, when the CBC acquired the rights for the 70-71 season. Interestingly, CTW rejected CBC's first bid of $80,000, and the CBC eventually had to pay $250,000 for the single season. The problem here was that the CRTC was worried about how Sesame Street would factor in to the Canadian content regulations for TV. You see, according to CanCon, that's Canadian Content Regulations, 55% of all programming had to be Canadian. There was a concern that Sesame Street might push stations over that percentage, meaning over the 45% of the other programming. Many stations, in fact, wanted Sesame Street to be given a neutral status. Effectively, it would be neither American nor Canadian when counting towards CanCon percentages. The show was, effectively, given this neutral status for the one year, and it was eventually unveiled to Canadian viewers in September of 1970. The show immediately garnered positive reviews from across the country, coast to coast. In fact, the immediate positive reception led to discussions and negotiations over the potential of creating a Canadian version of the show. There was no way that there could be a strictly Canadian Sesame Street. The budget alone for Sesame Street was $8 million per season, far beyond what the CBC could ever afford. However, there were options that other countries were starting to experiment with. Mexico, for instance, utilized small segments within the show produced in Mexico to create a hybrid version of the program. Effectively, 20 minutes of the 30-minute program would be the programming from the United States, dubbed over in Spanish, while 5 to 10 minutes of the show were Mexican-produced content that fit the look and maintained the quality of the original programming. This hybrid version could work financially for the CBC. Folks, before we continue, I want to take a second to let you know that we rely heavily on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So, for instance, if you want to donate five bucks for every episode we publish, Patreon allows you to set that up easily and securely. We survive exclusively on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, 
on our Facebook page, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy, and thank you so much to everyone who's donated. We could not keep doing this without you. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. It is interesting to note one critique of Sesame Street. Some at CBC felt that the portrayal of an inner-city urban environment with a focus on race relations was a uniquely American issue that did not apply to Canada. I'm not making that up. This is fascinating and also a classic example of a sort of Canadian ignorance to racial issues within our own country. Simply put, they felt that this sort of urban racial issue would not relate to Canadian viewers. There was no doubt, however, that Sesame Street was popular in Canada. In fact, it was so popular that when the first season was wrapping up and certain CBC affiliate stations announced that they would not renew for a second season, it generated protests across the nation. Why would they not renew for a second season, you ask? Well, simply put, it was both expensive and more importantly, it was feared by station programmers that it would put them in violation of CanCon, something that could result in fines or even the closure of the station. The first Sesame Street crisis revolved around the CRTC's planned increase of CanCon to 60%, meaning that 60% of television programming would now have to be Canadian-made. For many stations, Sesame Street would put them over this percentage and thus needed to be dropped. This first crisis actually began in Calgary, where the CBC affiliate CHCT announced it would drop the program if CRTC went through with their increase in CanCon percentage. This threat to drop it triggered a massive citywide letter-writing campaign, which actually led to a nationwide letter-writing campaign, which saw the CRTC bombarded by parents concerned about the loss of this television show. One representative from Alberta's Department of Education even wrote the CRTC telling them that many young women are rushing to conceive so that their children could watch the show before it is pulled off the air. Even the Bay got involved in the pro-Sesame Street movement with a publicity campaign and contest. The CRTC, the CBC, and its affiliate stations all had a major public relations problem on their hands. Letters were coming in from every corner of the country demanding something be done to keep Sesame Street on the air. The issue was taken up by the National Council of Jewish Women of Canada, by Calgary's Catholic Women's League, by the YWCA, and even made it to the floor of the House of Commons in Ottawa. In March 1971, the CRTC buckled under the pressure. Sesame Street got another neutral exemption for its second season. Now, the CTW back in the U.S. was watching all of this, and it took advantage of the popular demand for the show. 
In fact, the CTW requested an extra $50,000 from the CBC for season two, and this was begrudgingly accepted. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, all this discussion, all this crisis, all this back and forth was in reality postponing the real issue. At some point, there would have to be a reckoning with the fact that Sesame Street was still considered American content. The CRTC was still going to raise CanCon percentages to 60, and it would have to be the job of the CBC and its affiliates to figure out how to make the programming work with Sesame Street. But that job was going to be difficult. A number of affiliate stations simply announced that they could not and would not carry the show for the third season because of this CanCon increase. Once again, a massive letter-writing campaign erupted. In St. John, New Brunswick, for instance, a Save Sesame Street committee was formed and successfully pressured local affiliates to put the show back on the air. In Kingston, Ontario, parents and children actually picketed the local TV station, eventually forcing the station manager to give in and resume broadcasting Sesame Street. At this point, though, the CBC was already working on a longer-term solution, and that was, of course, Canadianizing enough of the show so that it did not affect the CanCon percentages in a negative way. The CBC and the CTW came together to begin working on ways to create Canadian content while maintaining the integrity of the show's core. Effectively, like in the Spanish version, Canadian inserts scattered throughout the show would make up parts of the first season, while a broader 50-50 Canadian-U.S. co-production would characterize the following one. While at first there was some resistance at CTW, the draw and potential of international revenue was too strong, and CTW eventually gave their blessing. Now, I should just point out that while English-speaking Canada would get a quote-unquote Canadianized version for the third official season, French Canada was still five years away from getting a version of their own. So, the third season of Sesame Street in Canada would have this new Canadian content, but what would this Canadianized Sesame Street content look like? Well, according to the planners at CBC, in cooperation with an educational advisory board, it would deal with issues related to concepts of Canadian identity, so bilingualism, multiculturalism, indigenous heritage, and odd little peccadillos like Z instead of Z. One segment, for instance, would be devoted to exploring the French language. 
Another one was titled, How Canadian Children Live, and looked at the various ways in which Canadian children lived throughout the country. When the third season aired with these new Canadian segments, the CBC received high praise. Even the CTW was impressed with this new Canadianized version of their show. Over the next several years, Sesame Street in Canada continued to increase its Canadian content. By 1976, 15 to 20 minutes of every episode was Canadian-made. There were adult performers from a variety of ethnic backgrounds reflecting the theme of Canadian multiculturalism. There were reoccurring animal characters like Bo Beaver. Even children's performers like Raffi and Fred Penner became regular guests on the show. By the 1980s, the show finally began to include Canadian puppets like the French-Canadian otter or Basil, the English-speaking polar bear trying to learn French, and Dodie, the bush pilot. While the core of Sesame Street remained CTW's vision, the show had, by the 1980s, been particularly adapted to Canadian sensibilities, promoting a specific vision of what it meant to be Canadian, and was watched by nearly a million children across the land. The story of Sesame Street is the story of a focused attempt by Canadian leaders to forge a specific identity in the post-war world. In the anxiety of the Cold War, the overwhelming power and influence of the United States, the slow separation from Great Britain, many Canadians felt that it was imperative now, more than ever, to protect and promote Canadian culture so as to protect and promote a unique sense of Canadian identity. Sesame Street was not seen as insidious as other American cultural exports were, yet it was fully realized that it had a profound effect on Canadian youth. If the Sesame Street platform could be used and then adapted to a uniquely Canadian landscape, then Canadian youth could in turn be indoctrinated with values and ideas of what it meant to be a Canadian at that time. In many ways, the Sesame Street of the 1980s speaks to an underlying aspect of Canadian identity. While rejecting Americanism, Canadians were nonetheless constantly influenced by America. And thus, the identity that we forged in this country was a hybrid one, Elements of American culture blended with a uniquely Canadian sensibility. And frankly, not much has changed. Canadian identity is still up for debate. What it means to be Canadian, what are Canadian values, what are Canadian traits, all of that is still difficult to pin down with any broad consensus. Nonetheless, Shows like Sesame Street put forward a specific vision of Canadianness, one that used an American platform to create a hybrid vision of Canada's core values, a show where the letter C stood for both cookie and Canada. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in and stay cool. Stay cool.